This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 286, A Conversation with Ron Garney. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode number 286. It's our conversation with Ron Garney episode as we continue our summer interview series. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and we'll get into the interview in just a second. Just a little bit of housekeeping first. First of all, I want to thank the people on the um, Marvel Masterworks uh, message board for supplying some questions. In particular, uh, Tim Roll Pickering. Um, He didn't specifically ask your question, but he definitely addressed it. Uh, with regards to how he felt about Heroes Reborn happening. Um, also, Electric Peter Tork. Uh, we definitely got to hear about why the Heroes Return run on Cap America was so short. Um, and then we also uh, got to a little bit of Optimus 81's question as well, although it actually came in after we already had the questions, but we kind of ended up addressing it anyway. So for those, uh, p- those three people in particular, uh, your questions were more or less answered and addressed. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this new episode. This uh, this was a fun one. It was over an hour and a half long. It was a, a really cool chat. Um, hopefully sometime in the future we'll be able to get Ron back on when he's able to promote what he's working on next. Uh, we kind of allude to it, but we don't really discuss what it is because we can't know it. It hasn't been announced officially. So, um, But that hopefully will be something that we'll have coming out in the future uh, if he's able to come back and do the episode. Uh, so you can email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also post our HROMS thread when it goes up. You can also uh, download us and listen to us on Stitcher as well. Uh, so thanks again for downloading the episode, and here is Ron Garney. I'm ready when you are. Welcome to the show, Ron. How are you doing tonight? We're live here at Comic Shenanigans. <laughs> so- Absolutely. Good. How are you, Adam? We're good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so let's just jump right in with some questions for you. Um, first of all, what's uh, what's your background with comics prior to actually enter, entering the industry? Did you grow up reading comics? Uh, I I read them when I was young. Uh, probably, I would say third and fourth grade. Um, you know, around that age, and then uh, I kind of forgot about them uh, at one point. You know, I got really into Star Trek and things like that, but I wasn't reading a whole lot of comics. But I was, I was uh, living out in an area where there, I didn't really have any access to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was out in the country, up in Cornwall, Connecticut. And it was a very, very, uh, you know, uh, remote town. And, and uh, the nearest store was, you know, 45 minutes away, and it was, you know, wasn't easy to get to when you're that age. So, you know, the only ones I would get were my mo- mother would bring them home here and there. Um, but I did read them, and then uh, I started reading them again, again once I got out of college. I went to college for illustration, and then uh, I was bartending. Um, and one of the bartenders had a... a Secret Wars comic behind the bar. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a Mike Zek drawn thing, and so I picked it up. And I, you know, I always loved the idea of toyed with the idea of you know getting into movie directing or something in college and things like that. And uh, so when I started reading, it kind of flooded back to me from when I read it when I was young, and that was the beginning of the rest of my life. <laughs> Uh, when you first were reading in the third and fourth grade, what were the types of comics you were reading at that point? 
Uh, it was a real different collection. I can remember reading um, Magnus Robot Fighter. Oh, wow. Uh, I think that was like, was that a gold key comic or something? I think uh, so. I can't remember right off the top of my head. And then I remember reading um, just really lots of different things like Moombaugh, the petrified living tree or whatever that was. <laughs> and then uh, I read uh, Tomb of Dracula. And I read, and they had a book back in the mid '70s called Spidey Super Stories, um, that were just these short stories, and it was sort of a comic book that was connected with the Electric Company on television. Mm-hmm. That was a TV show uh, for kids, um, but I was already at that point. Uh, let's see, I don't know what year that was. I was already around nine or ten, I think. Um, but those those are the ones that you know would my mother would bring home or, you know, she'd have a stack of books I would read. Stuff like that. Oh, for sure. My my dad's, one of the first comics I ever read, I think, was uh, Superman 220. And it was one of those things where, like, I guess my dad, who never really liked comics that much, but still kind of had a few, uh, kind of gave it to me years later and was kind of like, I, I don't know, maybe you'll like this. And I was right. kind of hooked right away. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's funny because as, as I'm thinking about it a little you know, a lot of them pop back into my head. Like, um, I remember having the, I had the Muhammad Ali versus Superman oversized thing. Oh, nice. And then I had, I think I might even still have that somewhere. Um, and I had, uh, the Jack Kirby drawn thing versus the Hulk on the George Washington bridge. (laughs) I had that, you know, so I had some really good ones. You know, but it wasn't like I was an avid collector where I had every month. You know, it was just here and there I would get really cool stuff to read. You know, um, well, as a kid, you don't notice it either. I mean, like when I again first started buying comics more as a as a kid more regularly, I was like you know maybe eight or nine, and yeah, you just buy a few issues here or there. You never thought about what you're missing and the issues in between. You're just like, oh, it's the new it's a new issue. This is awesome and exciting. Right. Right. It was kind of a. It felt like more of a standalone experience when you're younger. Whereas, especially with the way comics are now, I don't even know how that would feel for a, a kid to pick up, you know, an issue where you can't really get a standalone comic as much. That's what I think is missing from a lot of them nowadays. You know, uh, you know, it was a much simpler time for comics. You know, and the and the and the stories were centered around a moral sort of tale, or uh, you know, one that jumps out at me is Daredevil versus the Submariner. Uh, you know, at the end, <clears throat> the last page, which the Submariner turns to him. I think Daredevil tried to electrocute him with a light post or something. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Submariner turns to him and said, never have I met a man with such courage, you know. And it was just always, very, it was much simpler, you know. And, and so you could get away with reading one, and, and that was cool, and it was a lot of fun, you know. But now, you're right, I mean, it's just, it's a completely different animal. That being said, I mean, I again, I grew up, you know, I started reading a lot of comics in kind of the 90s period, and that was becoming more complex and more kind of intertwined, especially on like the X books, which were getting much more convoluted. And as a kid, I didn't notice the convolution. It just made me more excited to read more and to understand more of this giant universe that I was only... I you want to go back and and read the the back issues. Yeah, so I guess there's a little bit of that too, because maybe I'm not giving kids enough credit that they're going to... I'm also... I don't know how old you are, so maybe I'm. <laughs> I'm probably uh, 
dating myself here, you know. If you were you started reading them in the nineties. I mean, for me it was the sixties and early seventies, you know. There's a little bit of an age gap there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kinda kinda got that. But but, uh, uh, but I understand what you're saying, you know. I mean uh, I think that's a good thing that they're designed to make you want to pick up back issues and, you know, subscribe to the future ones, so well, that's what, what makes me miss the uh, editorial boxes. I know they can be cumbersome for some, but as a kid, that's what kind of made it more exciting. It was like, wow, if I go back to this comic, I'll know what I'm missing. Right. It, it's almost like it gave you a sta- um, you know, kind of a signpost on how to figure out back continuity, whereas now you could just pick up like a Wikipedia page or something like that, like, which I think removes the, the fun experience of discovering it for yourself. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I, I'd like to do at some point maybe a creator on that's, a, you know, an anthology book or something, you know, where you have just these Twilight Zone kind of stories, you know, that you can pick up every month that are standalone stories or maybe just a couple of months worth, um, you know, just to, to, you know, to delve back into that sort of, you know, feeling where you can read, you know, read a one shot and enjoy it from beginning that has a good beginning, middle and end. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is fun to be able to go back. I remember when I started reading, uh, when I got back into them, back in, I think it was like 1984, and I was reading Walt Simonson's Thor at that point. It was after, you know, I, when I picked up Zack's Secret Wars, I kind of read it and I got hooked right away. I was like, whoa, I could do this for a living. And, <laughs> and I just got really into the whole idea of all these heroes fighting each other on another planet somewhere by this character called the beyonder or whatever but um but i started running down to the local shop where the bartender got his and uh, i started picking up all these issues and uh i remember reading thor and it was like that it was like oh you know i picked up one of the issues and i had to go back and find out what happened four issues before that you know and i got so hooked on it and i couldn't wait till next month it's kind of like watching you know your favorite show like watching game of thrones i can't wait till next week or or Penny Dreadful, or any of these shows, you know, you just can't wait for the next episode. And it was like that when I started picking up those comics again. Now, how different do you think your life would have been if it wasn't for that bartender? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good, you know, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I have no idea where I'd be right now. Because it's interesting how it's, how you can kind of distill it to like that moment, you know, like that well, experience. It was, you know, I mean, I I don't know if I believe in fate or anything, you know, um, but. There were a couple, it was, you know, and uh, it was weird because I had been into comics when I was young and I was just out of college, you know, uh, been to college for art. Uh, the, the biggest coincidence was um, that Mike Zach lived like eight minutes from my house. Oh, really? Yeah, and I found out about it because uh, I was telling somebody, I think I might have mentioned it to the guy at the store. He said, how do you get into this, you know? And he goes, oh, you have to send samples into Marvel. And then he pointed at the bookshelf, and it had the Marvel tryout book on the shelf. Um, It was a big, oversized book where, you you know, they had pages in there that you could pencil and ink. And and it was a contest, and you had to send it in by a certain day because they were looking for talent all across the nation, basically. And um, uh, so I did it. I sent it in, and I didn't win. I think Mark Bagley won it. Yep. And, um, so, you know, uh, but he, t- I think he mentioned to me that Mike Zeck lived in the area and it just turned out he literally lived 
when I pulled out of my driveway, if I just stayed straight and drove to the beach, he was down the road by the beach, like eight minutes from where I lived. Wow. So it's really weird, you know, and I, I, I mean, I didn't go to his house right away. <laughs> I mean, I called, I found his number in the phone book, so I gave him a call. I just said, hey, could, you know, I'm a bartender in the Havens, if you could ever look at my stuff, I could send you something. And he said, sure, and he asked me what bar I worked at, and then he ended up coming to the bar, <laughs> you know. And, oh, wow. Uh, and yeah, and he saw, you know, and he thought I had, I showed him my samples, and he, he was like, yeah, you have, actually really do have potential. He says he sees a lot of stuff. And uh, a lot of guys aren't that good, you know. He goes, but you, you know, your stuff didn't really suck. It doesn't really suck. And and uh, he invited me to a little convention up here in Connecticut, and he, had, he asked me to sit down behind the table with him and draw for fans. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy, you know. And so that it was just a that was very strange, you know, to pick up a Zek book and it's a Secret Wars comic and then find out and then actually become friendly with the guy. And, be hanging out with them and stuff uh you know a couple of years later or so that's a great story yeah it's interesting huh well i guess that kind of dovetails into the next question of how did you you know start breaking into the industry that well that was it i mean i you know i was still bartending and you know and i i was playing volleyball with you know zex group and i kind of got involved with all them and um i met uh started meeting other in- industry professionals um uh what did i mean mike golden i met and um uh, an editor at the time by the name of renee witterstatter and uh you know so i just started getting to know these people and it was a goof let me tell you another crazy story is my aunt just just a couple of years before that i was working on i worked on the samples that i showed zach it was just like a year, actually, only like a year before that. I was in New York City, and I went to visit my aunt. She lived on West 101st Street. And so I had told her, you know, that, oh, I really wanted to work on comics and stuff like that. But anyway, my I was with my sister. We went to visit her. And me and my sister decided to go get a drink. So we went to a little bar right a block away from my aunt's house, from my aunt's apartment in New York. And I walked in, there was all this comic book art on the wall. It was like a local hangout for all the Marvel people. <laughs> and and Charles Vest just happened to be in there. And the bartender, I said, whoa. I, I said to the bartender, I said, where did you get all this art? He goes, oh, all the Marvel guys hang out here. He goes, that's Charles Vest right down. I'm like, Charles Vest, really? And so I introduced myself, and I said, do you mind? And I happened to have my samples, and he, <laughs> so he took a look at them and he said oh these are really cool he goes and he gave me a couple pointers and uh and then it was less than a year later that i ended up talking to zach and hanging out with him so it was all you know very seemed sort of meant to be i guess if you want to look at it that way you know <laughs> but um you know uh, zach he he was really cool he, I, I worked on my samples on the things i needed to work on over the course of probably another year before I actually went in, but Zach finally was going to go into the city and asked me if I wanted to come and show my stuff around. So I went in, me, him, and this other uh, up-and-comer wannabe named Larry Alexander, and uh, we went to D.C., and we went to Marvel, and I got introduced to all these editors, and by the time I got home that afternoon, I had, like, three calls on my answering machine from different editors. Wow. Uh, 
So DC was the first one. Actually, when I went to DC, they offered me Animal Man right away. They asked me if I would do Animal Man just by looking at my samples. And uh, so I said, yeah, sure. I mean, of course, you know. I hear my dreams were coming true, you know. And uh, but So I did an eight-page story for Animal Man. Uh, started working on it, but then midway through it, they, I guess Chaz Trua was working with Grant Morrison on it. And he had originally turned it down but changed his mind, so they really wanted to go with him. And uh, so I got a, I called back the editors at Marvel, you know. Um, uh, I started working on um, G.I. Joe was my first gig uh, for Bobby Chase. So that's how it all began. And what, what was that like, that first kind of experience? Um, it was a real eye-opener because, I mean, uh, GI, all the, the G.I. Joe toys you know, were licensed uh, and they had to be exact, all the, you know, all the drawings and everything. And so it was, I got shoved right into something I wasn't prepared for. You know, I mean, I, I didn't know what it was like to make deadlines and, you know, and, I was a bartender for years and I could draw but I didn't realize what it was going to be like to actually draw a 22 page comic book every month you know and have deadlines I mean I kind of knew but I didn't realize the amount of work it was going to be working on a book like G.I. Joe you know because it was so reference heavy that I was pulling all nighters trying to finish it and get it on time because I didn't you know I wanted to be a professional I didn't want to ruin it my chance you know that I had so I remember there were a few all-nighters there, and it was rough. I mean, it was a rough time because, uh, but I was willing to go through it just for to, to do this as a career. You know, I needed, I wanted a career, I wanted to do that for a living, and uh, that's how it began. And um, you know, it definitely changed my life for the better. And uh, you know, I had money coming in, and uh, but I was cooped up a lot. You know, I went from being a bartender and being in a nightlife, and I was actually a nightclub manager for years. And, you know, being around all these people to being around nobody. So it was that was a tough adjustment. Mm-hmm. Now, when you when you first started kind of working on these books, um, was it full script style? Was it Marvel method? Like, how was that kind of? And how so was that? It was, it was plot mostly, yeah. just a kind of a plot. You know, it was a loose page breakdown that wasn't even broken down by page. It would be like page one through four, page five through seven you know stuff like that and it would just give you uh, basically a loose loose outline of what's going on in the book and it give you some some dialogue not a whole lot um, so I actually learned to story tell, to story tell that way initially and um, develop my own sort of signature storytelling and you know uh, and then I started tr- uh, phasing over into full scripts the writers wanted to have more more control over what was getting put on the page and, and I was uh, probably one of the last diehards who really was vocal about not wanting to do it that way because I felt it took away a lot of the fun for me so um, you know uh, by the time let's see I, I was working on Cap it was still that by the time I got to I would say it was the Hulk was when it started going full scripts. Oh, really? That early? That was in 99, I think. Hmm. I remember. Maybe around then. Maybe maybe it was a little bit after that. 
I don't recall completely. I mean, it was a long time ago, but, um, you know, it was about 10 years into my career. <clears throat> now, I guess we're rewinding the clock a little. So then you got the regular gig on Moon Knight for a while. Yeah, well, what happened was is I, uh, while I was doing G.I. Joe, I got offered Moon Knight. So I didn't realize that Bobby Chase was testing me for G.I. Joe to be the regular artist on that. So, because I thought it was just a one-shot deal. So I was like, I agreed to do it, and I did it. But I, in the meantime, I had agreed to do Moon Knight for Danny Fingeroth as a regular gig. And it, I guess it turned into a big to-do there because it, Bobby was going to offer me the book, G.I. Joe, and I had already committed to Moon Knight, so they had to make a new policy to... You had to consult with the other editors and make sure that it, you know the coast was clear before you could offer a, a, an artist a book. You know, and you had to check with the other editors first, make sure that you know there wasn't a conflict there. Um, so uh, that's how it started. I, you know, I did the one issue of GI Joe, then I was doing Moon Knight, and then Ralph Macchio offered me Daredevil, a couple issues of that, or an issue. And, and I was just really—I mean, I didn't want to say no to anything. So I, you know, I was doing a lot of work <laughs> and uh, I don't know how I did it in hindsight but um, that's kind of the same uh, impression I got from uh, Mike Diodato when we did a, an interview was that he said that you know when people started asking him for stuff he didn't want to turn anyone down so he just did a little bit of everything somewhat to his detriment well that's exactly right I mean because I I, I could finish but I wasn't getting better you know so much because I, you know I was just hacking I mean, I still cared, but, you know, you had to get it done. And at that time, the editors really, you know, pushed you to be a deadline hound. wanted you to be, you know, get the stuff done, get the stuff done. You know, Danny Fingeroth, literally, when I first started, he would call me every day and say, Hey, Ron, it's Danny Fingeroth, just looking for pages, you know. And finally, honestly, I will say this. I, it really stressed me out to the point where I, I had to tell him, you know, please stop doing that. You know, because it was like I, I was there working. He knew I was working, but I could only work so fast, you know. And and what ended up happening was I ended up getting the habit of being fast and not really taking the time to be an artist, you know. Mm. As much as, I, you know, which you can see as, as the comic industry evolved past the image years or the, you know, the Jim Lee you know, that era, that people started paying more attention to being good artists and saying, screw the deadlines. And um, and I think I kind of started waffling in between. I was sort of in this weird stasis in between that, whereas I, you know, I would kill myself on a couple of issues and make it look really great to show my potential or show what I was capable of. But then the editors, we, you know, banging down my door wanting me to speed up and, and then you'd see my <laughs> my quality just drop off you know actually really severely in, in some cases and it was making me very unhappy I think I was very very miserable you know and this was supposed to be a career I was going to be happy in at mm-hmm. the tail end of the 90s I was miserable and into the early 2000s and all, all the way up through DC, you know, when I started working for DC, because I was just always getting hounded to get the pages in, and so, um, you know, I started working for my my Carlin at one point. He was always on me about the pages and getting them in. Doesn't matter, you know, just get them done. You know, people don't care. You know, the fans don't care. They'll forget. You know, 
And it really, I can understand the ethic for an editor, but it was a bad ethic for an artist, you know. And um, so I think my my reputation was sort of good and bad at the same time, for, you know, in different ways. Um, good in that, you know, I think the companies looked at me as somebody who could get it done, which a lot of guys couldn't. And yet <clears throat> some of the fans thought I was inconsistent, but then... There were fans that could see, would recognize the good work and go, "Oh, he's awesome," you know. Um, but it was it was sort of a tough spot to be in, you know. And I really had to start committing to doing better work. And um, but I still go through it, you know. You have to speed up. And the other problem is, is um, you know, is burning out. You know, there were a lot of times I, I was doing so much at one point that I was burning out a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, to the point where I, you know, I just didn't have it in me to sit there. Um, and draw another page. It was making me sick to my stomach because I was spending so much time in my life, my life, in a room, you know, cooped up, drawing comic books, and you know, and a lot of the subject matter was always, you know, I wasn't out, out, had no social life at one point, so I was going through a, you know, rough time for that reason. But I know we're jumping around a lot here, so I'll let no, you that's ask that's, that's that's good. Actually, well. I- I'll kind of pepper questions where they kind of come up naturally, but one question that came up uh, during that was if you could redraw one storyline in particular, which would it be? <laughs> that might be difficult, but... No, I, I thought about that. I'm trying to remember what, what book it was I thought that about. Um, uh, I think it might have been uh, maybe the... Uh, was it the X-Men? Uncanny X-Men? It might have been Uncanny X-Men when I started that. I mean, it, there was a, <clears throat> there was, there's a, few, a lot of, there's a lot of singular issues I'm, you know, I would love to draw over if I ever could because I, I knew I was having to speed up and, you know, and I remember I got taken off Captain America for the second time. First time was in lieu of Rob Liefeld and him taking over the book, but then I got take, I got dumped for Andy Kubert on the regular title. And that really just took the rug out from under me, finally, to where I wanted, I actually wanted to leave the business. And I actually, um, I did for about six months. Uh, I wanted to just, I didn't, I didn't draw a book for six months just because I was so fed up with the political and it was such a backstabbing cutthroat business, like every business is, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's very competitive and, you know, and just everybody's there to, you know, you know, you get dumped if you're not popular enough or, you know, uh, and that's what happened on Captain America. And, um, so that was, that was pretty rough, but there's a lot of issues, you know, and I can see why though I could, you know, but that's where I blame myself for not being stronger about saying no to the editors when I, and just saying, no, I'm just going to do a great job on this and screw the editors. I mean, I don't mean screw the editors, but you know, be be truer to me than to trying to make everyone else happy. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what, what when that was killing my career, and it, it happened because of that. You know, I mean, I even though I was making the deadlines and everything, and I would I, I remember I did a whole issue in a, like a week and a half or two weeks. I stayed up, you know, just to get it done for the editors and. Ultimately, I ended up getting taken off off cap because, 
you know, the fans looked at it as shit <laughs> at one point towards the end of it. Really? I, 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 I remember reading those when they came out, and I never felt that way. Just that, well, it was towards the end of the second run on, uh, when, I, when, when it was Heroes Return. Yeah, that's, and, I remember uh, that. I got to about to the fourth issue, and I started burning out. I was trying to do a really good job for the first few issues. Mm-hmm. The first issue, I killed myself on, the one in Japan. If you look at that one, you can see how I killed myself on it. And I I drew every person, you know, I had to draw the Ginza strip, and I went so far into the details on that. Every <laughs> sign, every person, every stand that Captain America walked up to, the dolls and the, the backgrounds, and the, you know, I just went crazy. And it's funny because I killed myself on it, but it didn't seem like anybody cared. But I, I didn't care because I wanted to show what I could do for myself even and have fun with it but by the time the fifth issue came around I had to you know they were pushing me and pushing me and saying you need to get this done or else we're going to have to take you off the book so I did the fifth issue and I hacked that thing out so fast and Mike uh, I think John Beatty inked it and um, I think it was John Beatty who inked it or something according to comic book sorry according to comic book DB you're right yeah, and um, it was I did that issue in literally a week and a half, the whole twenty-two pages or something. I just killed myself to get it done for them, you know. And the day I turned it in, Matt Idelson—well, I don't mean name names—but you know, the editor told me <laughs> Matt Idelson. I already <laughs> said it. Uh, basically, told me I was off the book and that they were putting Andy Kubert on, and it was just I—I I went home on the train. I was just like, what the hell. So that was a rough time, you know, in my career. And, um, you know, then I got other things came after that, though. They, and they, they gave me Sentinel of Liberty after that. They said, we want you to do Sentinel of Liberty. You know, it's a new title that you could co-write with Mark Wade. And I think it was, you know, because they felt bad because I got taken off the regular book. And I didn't want to be off the flagship title. And uh, so I did that. And I had some fun in that, I guess. And then uh, I was offered Hulk. And that re-energized me. Um, and Byrne, John Byrne, uh, was going to write it. And um, and that was interesting because I was friendly with John and uh, over the years. We knew each other. He lived here in Connecticut. And I, before I got in, he had, I'd gone to his house for a couple of parties. And, you know, and I was a big fan of his. <clears throat> he was another guy I was reading in addition to Walt Simonson back in 84. Hmm before I got in and I ended up being friendly with him too so you know and it's funny because I had met John years before at in uh, Porchester at a comic art museum and this is way before I got in the business and uh, so here I was working with the guy now so it was a that was a kick and um, but I was so jazzed to draw the Hulk and it re-energized me and I was away from the whole political bowl of of uh, you know Captain America because the book became popular and once it became popular, it was like every everybody started peeing on it. It was crazy. <laughs> so, you know, before it was Mark Grunwald, nobody wanted to touch it. But then Mark and I came along, and now everybody wanted to touch it. And, uh, you know, because it became popular, sort of a, you know, a critical hit. Then it went over to Liefeld, and everything changed, and it was, you know, a lot different. And Mark wanted to work with Andy Kubert, and so, so that's kind of what happened. And, um, <clears throat> then I went on to Hulk and then after that you know I went through some personal problems and I was getting really 
burnt out and I took some time off and uh, you know the rest is history now when you were doing Hulk obviously you started with John Byrne and then you were working with Paul Jenkins later what was that like just because those are two very different creators as an artist what was that like to kind of go through a transition like that between writers um well John it was you know that John was doing full scripts with no page breakdown like he wouldn't do page one page two he just did the whole issue panel for panel for panel for panel for panel for panel uh, <clears throat> without any page breakdown he said oh you know because I wanted to do plot because that's what I like doing and he wanted to do full script so he had more control over it um, so I was agreeable he said well why don't we meet in the middle and he said well, I'll just do um, you know the whole plot with no, I mean the whole script with no page breakdown I said okay um didn't really make much sense. I, I mean, I, I mean, as far as it giving me room to do like a plot because it was still full script, you know. But I mean, I was still able to play with it, you know, make his his words work with the pictures I was coming up with, and uh, you know, and, and where I was going to leave off a panel on a certain page, and then open up on another page with a different panel. So, um, you know, it definitely was it was fun. I mean, he. And John got fired off it, unfortunately, not much longer after that. <laughs> um, so, and then Paul came on. And, uh, you know, Paul was doing full script. So, I mean, it, it wasn't that much different. The, the only thing that was different was the story direction, you know. Um, the story was such so markedly different. It went from the Hulk, you know, being like the TV show, the Lou Ferrigno kind of TV show, the you know Bruce Banner wandering around the country, to uh, <clears throat> a psychological thing with uh, Bruce Banner having Lou Gehrig's disease and uh, you know him fighting all the different Hulks in his head, you know that kind of thing. So it was just the story was different, but you know the full scripts were full scripts. So now, I guess from there you were working on Uncanny X Men, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, kind of here and there. Uh, well, and I guess... well, no, what happened was I decided to just dump. I wanted to get out of kind. I at least needed a break and decide whether I wanted to continue with it because it was such a roller coaster ride. Like, I went for all the drama with Cap and Rob Liefeld, and then I'm back on it, then I'm not on it. And then, you know, Mark Wade and Andy Cooper were doing it, and then, um, you know, uh, and I don't mean to be bringing up names, but these just happen to be the people who were involved at the time. And I'm not saying anything bad about that. I mean, it's just the way it went. Um, <clears throat> but then on to the Hulk, and then John Byrne, and then John Byrne gets fired, and then, um, oh, actually, you know what? I take that back. Jeez, I think we skipped over one important thing, which was the Silver Surfer. Yes, that was, uh, yeah, that's right. And I forgot about that. between Hulk and Cap. So, so I, after I left Cap, initially, when it went to Rob Liefeld, they offered me anything I wanted to do. Bob Harris called me up because they, you know, they really wanted to keep me there because I was like really PO'd and I, you know, and Bob was like, well, please, you know, don't punish Marvel. You're going to, you know, what are you punishing Marvel? And like, I'm not punishing anybody. I mean, I'm, uh, you know. I just don't know what to do now, you know? And so they offered me anything I want. I said, well, I said, I'd love to draw the Silver Surfer. 
You know, I just I just wanted to draw characters I wanted to draw. I didn't care about the money it made, or I just wanted to draw things I'd have fun drawing. And the Surfer was one I thought I'd have a ball drawing. And so they said done. You know, and they <clears throat> I guess George Perez uh, was on it, <clears throat> and he had been working with. Um, Oh, I, I can't remember who it was. It was an artist before me. You know, it was Ron Lamb, and then it was uh, maybe Tom Grinberg or somebody like that. I can't remember who was right before I was. And uh, <clears throat> so I was really pumped to do The Surfer. And I get right through the first, midway through the first issue, and George, you know, and I had had all these calls. I went out to dinner with George talked about the direction of the story and we both wanted it to be out in our space and sci-fi and I was really pumped and sounded great and then he quit right in the middle of that the first issue because Bob Harris wanted to change the direction of the storyline which is not where George wanted to go at all so George called me up and said I'm quitting I'm just letting you know I don't know what you want to do and I kind of got the feeling you know maybe in hindsight that George wanted me to quit with him but, I mean, I was just like, what the hell? So, I, you know, Bob called me up, you know, wanted me to stay on. And I'm like, all right. I wanted to draw the surfer, and then it went to J.M. DeMattis. And it turned into a completely different story than what George and I had wanted to do. So, during that time, it was like, I think, I think I had done 10 or 11 issues of the surfer. Maybe. Something like that. And um, <clears throat> that's when I got off the call to do Cap again, that it was coming back from. Liefeld, they wanted me and Wade to jump on again. And Mark had the brilliant idea, I thought, to just start where we left off and just the very first line in the next issue with us coming back on was going to be now, back to our story. <laughs> As if the Liefeld thing didn't happen at all. Like, And I was like, that is the most awesome thing I've ever heard, but Marvel pressured him to not do that. <laughs> he, went, he went in a different direction, you know, and you know, it was about in Japan and Captain America's influence on Japan and you know that was kind of loosely basic conversation he and I had had on Captain America's influence in the rest of the world because I, I wanted to do a, sort of a true lies storyline where Cap was a secret agent going around the world you know and that's kind of how Man Without a Country was born and, mm-hmm. you know and so that was a sort of a continuation on that um, so uh yeah, but I thought that would have been a brilliant way to start it. He wanted to have Cap on a bullet train, just saying, "Now back to our story, back to the action," you know. Um, and then, yeah, and then, you know, that's where I, you know, it was like four issues out to that. Then they wanted Andy Kubert on it, and then I went to to Hulk. Um, and then after Hulk, I quit for a while. Actually, Joe Casada called me up and wanted me to do Daredevil after him. Oh wow. And I just, uh, I just didn't want to do it. I said no because I was so burnt out and so fed up with the all the, you know, the instability of it. And, you know, and I remember Wizard Magazine calling me the human volleyball that Marvel didn't want to, didn't know what to do with, and uh, you know, and it was just a, you know, and I was going through some very personal problems, you know, in my personal life, and so I needed a break, <clears throat> and I took, uh, I was going to take. A lot. I took a lot of time off. I didn't work on comics for about six months, and uh, I had a rock band, and you know we were playing all over uh, New Haven County, and um, 
then I got a call from DC and they asked me to do or from Jeff Loeb actually called me they wanted me to do uh, the Our, Our Worlds at War thing and he he wrote it so it was all just double page spreads for the most part because <laughs> uh, he loved my double page spreads he said he's a, you do the best double page spreads in the business and you know, so he tailored the script to he, what he thought I wanted to do, and, and I was fine with that. You know, it was cool. It was a fun thing to do, and it came out cool. And, um, and that was after that that I got a, the offer to do Uncanny X Men after I had done the Marvel had seen the Secret Wars. I mean, the uh, the uh, Our Worlds at War thing. <clears throat> and then it was on X Men, but the, my personal life was really I had a lot going on. Uh, yeah, not to get into all that, but it was it was enough that it was causing a huge distraction for me to where I couldn't really do the best work I could do. You know, I was working, but and I was I was distracted by a lot of stuff that was going on, and so um, uh, so yeah. So then I went on on Candy X Men, and, and uh, you know went from there. <clears throat> and then I went to DC after that. <laughs> for a couple of years. Now, I guess, so when you were working on Uncanny X-Men, I guess you had a collaboration with Chuck Austin, and I guess that would continue in your J- JLA work, correct? Yeah, that's what, uh, that's right. That's what happened. I was working with Chuck Austin. Um, <clears throat> and, I, you know, again, I was distracted, and I just didn't like the way that book looked. I, you know, for me personally, I'm just, I always, now the stories, you know, I remember it was weird. I was writing drawing something about a fish kid named Sammy you know, <laughs> yeah I remember him very strange you know I didn't know what to make of any of it and I didn't really feel like I had anything cool to draw you know and uh, I really didn't I wasn't I had never drawn those characters really before either and uh, and uh, you know and I just didn't think my marriage with the inker was working and uh, you know um, and the guy's a good anchor. It's it had nothing to do with that. It's just sometimes it's a good marriage. Sometimes it isn't. And, you know, I've seen this guy do phenomenal work on over other guys. He's, it's better pairing, you know. But um, with me, it just wasn't working. And uh, so it, it kind of fell to the wayside after I don't know how many uncanny issues I did. I don't really remember at this point. Maybe like 12. I don't, 12, I don't know. I, but uh, maybe not that many. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so after Uncanny, uh, DC called me up. And it was, you know, I had a bad falling out with Marvel over that, uh, you know, f- for a couple of years. And, and uh, they had offered me Superman at DC originally. And um, Car- I went in and, you know, to talk to Carlin about it. And uh, then he said, well, we changed our mind. We want you to do JLA. And I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do a team book. And I do better with single characters. I'm, I'm, you know, I tend to shine on singular characters. I don't do as well on team stuff for some reason, because for some reason, I, the single characters I can really get my head into. I can, you know, I can create a look for that character for the book, for the, the environments and everything. With a team book, it's different. You know, you have, you know, there are all these characters, and you can't really play around with just the look of it because the look of this character might not work with the look of that character if you look at my surfer it looks markedly different from my Hulk which looks markedly different from my Catch you know that's because I get into the character and I try to create a world 
based on what I feel in those characters. So it's difficult on a team book. So I didn't want to do a team book. And um, but Carlin talked me into it, and uh, it was <laughs> it was Chuck Austin again, and uh, I was penciling and inking, and, and my my you know I was making half the money I was making at Marvel, and uh, you know it was just bad. And uh, I um, it was a good opportunity. Don't get me wrong. I, I great. I'm always grateful for the opportunities, but you know it's just it's. Sometimes, man, you it's you just have to find that special book, that special character, and that special story, and that you know where everything just works, you know. And um, didn't happen for me until I came back to Marvel. You know, I did the two years with JLA. I did fourteen issues of JLA, and uh, then I went back to uh, Marvel, and uh, they offered me Spider-Man. That's a big time to get back on, you know, to get on that particular horse, considering it was part of the Civil War crossover. Yeah, yeah, I went back into Marvel, had a meeting with them, and uh, I needed to recharge my batteries, and I had to recommit myself to the work. I was getting my, at that point, my personal life was getting a little more stable, and I was, you know, cleaning that up, up that aspect so I could focus more on my professional life again, and, uh, so by the time Spider-Man came around, I had a renewed commitment, you know, to doing good work. And, uh, you know, I met with Marvel and, uh, you know, and uh, they offered me Spider-Man. So, you know, let's see how that goes. And uh, so I did the very first issue um, and they loved it. So, you know, it was good. And then, you know, uh, everything started, you know, working out really well after that. Um, you know, my commitment was there and uh you know there wasn't and i you know i had expressed all those concerns to them about what i went through you know uh with the drama and the being taken off books and then putting back on and then you know uh and just all the instability was is what you know i mean i take my own responsibility too but i you know in my discussions with them they had to take their share of the responsibility and, and see how that could affect the creator and you know, and how it was affecting my ability to do the best work I could for them, you know, because it was very demotivating to have to be, to be so insecure about, you know, what your, your work and whether people like it enough to keep you on the book and, you know, and all the backstabbing. And I, you know, I didn't want to deal with that anymore. I, you know, I backstabbing, who, who the hell knows if it was backstabbing, but it seemed like it in the moment, you know, at the time. But so I, you know, I'll take that back and just say instability, you know, just, you know, offers going every which way and people get taken off and put on, you know, and people complaining. And, you know, so whatever, backstabbing probably sounds a little bit, a bit paranoid. So I don't really, I guess, you know, that's probably the wrong word. Um, anyway, um, so yeah, I, so I had a renewed commitment at that point, and uh, and then I got offered to do. I mean, I got a call from a an email from a movie guy, wanted me to meet with uh, a costume designer on I Am Legend because you know they liked my work and uh, and uh, or I had a Mobius sort of riff. Howard Porter got an email and they referred he referred them to me and uh, <clears throat> the guy liked Mobius and I had. You know the Mobius thing going on Surfer, so he asked to meet me, and so I went into the city. I was doing Spider-Man and working on I Am Legend at the same time, and I was 
I was a horse, man. I was doing good work. And <laughs> my son was born, and it was probably the most positive, you know, a real section of time that was the most positive in my life. Things really started changing for the better. I got married, and, you know, uh, you know uh, my son was born, and I had, you know, lots of good stuff happening. So, um, so that's what happened with that. Uh, and then working on that movie really... Uh, helped me improve my work in the comics. It was pr- a pretty marked improvement, you know, just to have somebody over my shoulder at the studio, at the set, you know, and at the costume designer set, um, looking over my shoulder saying, well, that looks a little off. Can you do this? That really, was to have another eye, which you're, you really don't have when you're working at home, you know, it's hard to get somebody right there saying that looks off and have you and save you a whole day's worth of time trying to figure out what's wrong with something. And, uh, this guy had, you know, so much experience and, uh, you know, it was amazing, an amazing growth period for me. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm always grateful for that. And, uh, and after that I did get mystique and, uh, I just did scan pencils and it was probably, uh, probably to this date my the best thing I'd ever done I would say well one of the best things I think now I want to talk about that for a second because I guess this was your first collaboration with Jason Aaron correct right yes. now obviously this has proven to be a fruitful collaboration for you too yeah yeah sure you know uh, we don't I, you know the funny part is, is I don't we, we hardly ever talk oh really you know, it's funny I see him <laughs> and you know him and Jason Latour look like they're the best buddies in the world and but my relationship with Jason has never been that. It's um, always been very, um, he gives me the stuff and I draw it. <laughs> you know, that's basically it. I think I went to one convention out in Kansas City and I hung out with him a little bit there. and you know. But then we talked a little more extensively, obviously, when we did the creator round. Um, but, yeah, we don't, we don't talk much. Um, so, but... Um, but yeah, it's been—I mean, it's been a good collaboration, you know, critically successful, you know, and, and I've enjoyed it, drawing his, his stories, you know, um, they had a grit to them, and uh, um, and he has a good knack for pacing things that works for my old plotting sensibilities. Interestingly enough, you know, uh, when I work on his stuff, I feel like I'm sort of doing the old plots, even though they're full scripts. I don't know why. So, you know, it's something I hadn't experienced. You know, I had a good collaboration with Wade for the most part. Um, but with Jason, there was just this unspoken sort of, you know, meshing that works. You know, there's just something about the two of us that works together. So, Now, wh- how did you end up getting the gig on Wolverine? Because obviously you were, coming, you were coming off, you know, um, what, a year and a half of, of Spider-Man, you know, and doing two very important arcs, obviously. I mean, you did the Civil War arc as well as the Back in Black. Coming off of that, how did you get Wolverine? Um, yeah, the Back in Black. Um, that was an interesting one. Uh, yeah, well, I, I just got a call from uh, Axel Alonzo. said he had this young writer, this new writer, named Jason Aaron he wanted me to work with or he asked if I'd be interested in working with him doing this storyline called Get Mystique you know and he explained a little bit of it to me and and 
he told me about the time travel aspect, or the you know the uh, jumping back and forth from the twenties to now. And I I love that stuff. If any I, any time I can get a chance to do old cars like from the forties or the Model Ts or the you know horses or you know the Wild West kind of I you know so as soon as I heard that I was like Ab- absolutely because you know I'm a big fan of Clint Eastwood and westerns and. And this story just sounded like it was the best of all this stuff, you know, that I always got off on, you know. Hmm. So um, I love doing retro stuff visually. I love drawing retro things because, you know, when you look back at the decades, they're so identifiable. There's such such markers, the fashions and the cars and the, you know, the industry markers of that period, you know, have such signatures. And, you know, the 20s with all the... Uh, Art Deco, and then you have the, you know, so there's just so much cool stuff to draw from, you know, and uh, so uh, I was really jazzed to do it, you know, and then I got to jump forward and do current stuff, you know, out in, you know, Afghanistan and, uh, you know, jump back and forth. So it was a lot, I, I really love, it's probably one of the, the favorite story I've worked on. I mean, it showed in the work too, and I had just done the movie, and you can see my work just jumped a couple of notches in that I think hmm. and a lot of it's just based on enthusiasm too you know but um well it makes sense I mean if you're more invested in what you're doing and you're more interested in it it's, it's gonna look better you're yeah gonna, you're I mean, gonna I take really your time wanted, and I, I, did, I wasn't gonna have an anchor either I just wanted to do scan pencils and do them as tight as I could and just really you know part of the reason I think too is that I knew that because I was doing enhanced pencils, it was just going to be me, and I wasn't going to be covered over with an inker. And the one thing I experienced over the years was that no matter how much you tight a pencil you put down, if you have a different person inking it, it changes it enough where it doesn't feel like it's totally you anymore. And that always, always got under my skin a little bit, you know, because Gary Larson, the cartoonist, wouldn't be Gary Larson if somebody else inked him, you know, I guess, if you wanted to look at it that way. <laughs> but um, I, you know, sense of pride too, I always wanted it to be me, just me, and see how it would evolve, and, you know, and uh, I worked with great anchors, don't get me wrong, I love, well, I love the collaborations, it's just, I wanted to do just me, you know, and uh, in the pencils, you know, here was a opportunity now we have the technology now to be able to do scan pencils and get the work done in a, in a reasonable amount of time and have it be just you you know instead of having it inked over and you know so if you look at that book it looks very tight uh, a lot of it and uh, and it really worked you know it was a good gamble for that kind of story the grittiness of that kind of story um, and I'm very proud of it I love that storyline <clears throat> Now, you also, I guess, uh, helped create the Scar, Son of Hulk character with Greg Pak. Is that correct? Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Am I wrong? It, 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 well, it didn't, I didn't help create it. What do you mean? Well, I guess because you launched the book. My, my apologies. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, they, yeah. I actually, that book, I didn't want to do. I mean, I hate to say this, you know, but Casada called me up and asked me to do that book after getting Mystique. And uh, I didn't really want to do it. I said no initially, but they begged me to do it. And uh, here was another example kind of of where I felt where my reputation really is what they were after because they knew I could get it done. 
because when I got the script, it was a month away from shipping. Oh, wow. So I'm like, you know, so when I found out what the deadline was, I was like, oh, my God, you know. And I'm not saying it's the only reason they asked me to do it, but that was one of the reasons. And, um, you know, and I had a reputation for being good, and, and if I had to, I could get it done. It still would look pretty good. Um, you know, and I think that's what they needed at that point. And I'm, I'm fine with that here and there, but... You know, unfortunately, it's stuff like that. You know, with the fans, they become critical. And they say you're inconsistent, and this and that, and they, you know, and um, but you have to take into account that you know you're a professional, and this is a business, and you have to, you know, they ask you to do that, and you agree to it, then you have to get it done. So that was that was really the story behind that. I didn't initially say yes to it. They, you know, kind of begged me to do it. And I said, okay. Then I found out why. The book was so behind, you know, when it was supposed to be shipped. And so I did it, and I got it done quick. And, uh, you know, and it was enhanced pencils, and they they knew it would look good. I think that was the other reason, is they wouldn't have to give it to an inker because, you know, then uh, they wouldn't have to wait on it. And um, so it would save time. So I did it, and then I, it was not very long. I really, I wasn't into it. I, you know, I liked what Greg was writing. It was fascinating, but it was just a world I wasn't prepared for. I wasn't familiar with any of it. I didn't re- read Planet Hulk, um, you know, at all. And I tried to brush up on all of it, but it seemed like it was Lord of the Rings, you know, in a Hulk book, and, and I, it was just so overwhelming to try to figure out what was going on. And, um, it was fun to, to read, I guess, but to draw it was a whole other thing entirely. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not complaining about it. If, you know, if I had a different amount of time uh, and I was fully prepared mentally to do that book, I probably would have loved it, and I would, and I would be grateful for the opportunity. Obviously, it's just at that time, the timing of it and how rushed it was, and you know, it was just it kind of started reminding me of what happened in the 90s and I didn't want to do that, you know, and so it was, I just kind of got off. I I just, you know, it was actually the only book I ever actually quit because I just didn't want to go down that road again and it wasn't looking good, you know, and it wasn't anybody else's fault except my own because it was rushed in a way. Well, I mean, you know, that's not completely my fault, but, you know, it was a combination of all that and I just didn't want that anymore. I didn't want to be unenthusiastic about it and be doing something I, you know, I didn't really want to do. Um, so uh, I think it was after that that I, uh, it was maybe a Wolverine again. Yeah, Wolverine Weapon X. Now, was that um, something that was kind of offered to you and Jason? Was that already kind of coming about and you kind of jumped on? Or how did that, because again, it's notable because it's you and Jason Aaron working together again. Oh, yeah, it was offered to both of us at the same time. You know, hey, do you want to do Weapon X with Jason? We're going to start this book at a number one. And I'm like, uh, how much time do I have to do it? You know, that was <laughs> one of the stipulations. I didn't want to get on it and just have it be a hack job, you know. And, um, so there was enough lead time and, uh, you know, and it was fun. I really enjoyed it. I think there was some really cool stuff going on in there. You know, um, yeah, really liked it. Now, moving on, I guess, after uh, Weapon X, um, I'm trying to remember, I guess you were working on the Ultimate Captain America book for a bit. 
Yeah, it went from Weapon X to, uh, yeah, is that what, yeah, it jumps right from that to Ultimate Cap, maybe, with Jason again. Now, how did, how would you characterize the, the, the way that you approached Ultimate Cap as opposed to, uh, kind of the regular universe Cap that you had drawn back in the 90s? Uh, yeah, that was a very conscious thing uh, that I was working through on that because this cap, I mean, it kind of worked <clears throat> just by the nature of me doing enhanced pencils anyway because the personality of the ultimate cap was more like a Wolverine-ish attitude, you know, Sergeant Rock kind of thing. Um, he wasn't, you know... America apple pie cap from this universe <laughs> you know it was the 1600 or whatever they call that universe um, uh, you know he's more you know, more of a you know kind of a dick <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, so so just the nature of the visuals it worked for that because my stuff was grittier especially after having done so much Wolverine and uh, you know and things like that so it worked but I definitely found myself drawing Cap the way I used to draw him back in the 90s, and then I had to adjust for that. Um, I started making him a little bit cartoony again, and and then I pulled back on that and started making it look a little bit less so, you know, and getting back to more of a realistic sort of look, and look on his face. You know, you can definitely see uh, similarities early on to what I was doing originally. And, uh, but I was having fun with it. And a lot of it was in the action, too, you know, of the action scenes. I remember a, a series of pages in particular where I was consciously trying to, you know, retap into the fun I was having with Wade on the, the adventure and the action and sort of the springy quality to his movements. And, uh, and there was some stuff like, you know, they were on, a, on the rooftop and he was fighting... Uh, Nuke uh, on the roof, and uh, you know, a helicopter comes and takes Nuke away. And I remember consciously feeling like I wanted to do some old Cap, like the stuff I did on back in the '90s with that. But I had to pull myself back from that. Interesting question because that was a conscious thought, yeah, a conscious effort. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess um, moving forwards again. <clears throat> Uh, she did, a, I guess, a stint on uh, one of the relaunches of Uncanny X-Force. Yeah, was that right after Ultimate Cap? Um, it might have been a, a little bit more than... I think you did some fill-ins here and there. What do you have, the comic book database in front of you or something? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the way you're able to just tell me what I had done is... Because <laughs> I don't even remember. I've done so much stuff. I, uh, God. Comic book DB is my friend you look at that thing and you look at my body of work it's insane um i'm sure there's other guys who have, who have more but it's just insane to me to look at it because you know I, all that stuff is like there are days and hours of my life you know but anyway um yeah it might have been after ultimate cap it was i guess there's some issues of wolverine during goodbye chinatown uh, oh, right, right. I did the Goodbye Chinatown arc. That was fun. It was like a four issue or five issue thing. That was a fun. Actually, I really enjoyed that story too. That was a little more lighthearted. And it was I got to draw dragons and do it. It was just this weird <laughs> story, and it was cool. You know, I really. At first, I was like, "What the hell is this?" But then, as I got to draw it, it was it was a, a ton of fun. Visually, I was really having fun with it. 
um, <clears throat> drawing a lot of the dragons and the old Chinese guy and the, you know uh, really cool stuff. So um, yeah, that wasn't long after that. I think I got the call from Niccolo who wanted me to do X Force, but he wanted me to use an inker. And, um, what did I do after? Did I do anything else after that? Goodbye Chinatown. Uh, yeah, um, looks like there was Wolverine 300. Yeah, I did uh, fill-in pages on a few things. Uh, Fantastic Four, 605. Oh, yes, those two issues, right. That was interesting because <clears throat> my dog had passed away, and that was the issue where Ben Grimm passes away. It was, like, literally, I was drawing that the day my dog died, and that was rough, man. Oh, my God, to this day, it's just, well, I don't know if you've ever lost a pet or anything. You know, but he wasn't my dog. He was like my friend. I mean, my my dog Max. He was a golden retriever, and he got me through some tough times back in the '90s. You know, when I was living by myself, it was just him and I. And, um, so to lose him was was rough, and it was right when I was drawing the FF thing. I know that sounds can't understand it unless you live it, but it was a mm-hmm. that issue is very important to me. You know, it's uh, very um, you know very sad for me you know uh, having to draw that and that happening at that time yeah. so it was important for me you know and, and personally just personally important not to anybody else just to me but then uh, yeah but I enjoyed doing it you know the FF stuff uh, that's another one I, you know I would love to if I had more time because I was doing I think I was doing some really cool visuals in, the, in that first issue um, and in the second one too but it was you know there was behind the gun and I was supposed to originally do four issues and already losing time on the schedule and I you know because I was I was just behind and uh, so Tom asked me if I wanted to give up the other two issues and I just said yeah give them to someone else and um, <clears throat> but I was doing some fun stuff I thought originally on, on that first issue um that's another book I would love to sink my teeth into if I have more time. And, oh yeah, yeah. Do more visual, cool visual stuff. You know, uh, it was very realistic, but I would do even crazier visuals. I think I wasn't stretching myself, no pun intended, <laughs> on that one as much as I think I should have. Even though I was doing fun stuff, visual, I would like to have punched it up more. <clears throat> Now, one book I actually I almost glossed over. I'm glad I went back through the comic book DB to see it. Um, you did an issue of Uncanny X Men as part of AVX. Oh yeah, man, that's right. <laughs> now I remember getting about all this stuff. Was it one issue or two issues? I think it was just the one uh, that I can tell at the moment. But uh, I remember just being that was a fun story to draw. I was floored by it. Like it was a really good script, but like your artwork was fantastic. It was so much fun. Yeah, I, I remember I got to draw. I think one of the reasons I loved it too is I never draw had drawn Colossus before, and he was he was aside from surfing my other favorite character. I don't know why I love the silver, <laughs> but uh, you know, for me, Surfer and then Colossus was the other character from Marvel I always wanted to draw because I, I mean, if I, people would ask me what character would you be if you were a part of the Marvel Universe, I used to say Colossus a lot because who wouldn't want to turn into a living organic steel? I just thought it was the coolest thing, you know? So, um, so yeah, I got to draw that and I just was really having fun with it. Like the layouts and the, 
um, you know, and the story, and then the, the bit with uh, Gene and Scott. I think it was two issues. You're, you're right. It was two. It was eighteen to nineteen. Yeah, it was two issues, and um, but the bit with Gene and Scott sitting in their in their mind having dinner or the steak, and, and you know, and uh, in that white room, and I was trying I was trying to make it sort of a two thousand and one Space Odyssey feel in there. You know, everything was white, you know, very stark, and uh, you know, it was um, it was really cool. You know, really a cool story. I thought. And, uh, you know, towards the tail end of it again, I had to rush a bit, so I feel like it started faltering. But, yeah, I really enjoyed it. really enjoyed that story. Now, um, then there was the Uncanny X-Force that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, and that's where the, and Nick wanted to use an anchor, and, you know, I was okay with it. But, again, it was another deadline nightmare. Hmm. Once I, fi- I agreed to it, they told me the script was due in, like, you know, five weeks, and, was like it was gonna miss shipping I'm like oh my god so it was a nightmare you know and trying to get pages out to the anchor I was just they were inking off blue lines and you know it just sucked <laughs> you know not to, it was a, supposed to start off as a number one and that was great I you know and I liked what Sam had done and uh, Humphreys and it was cool I got to draw some cool stuff in there and it was good I mean don't get me wrong I think we did a good job but um, I, you know, I would like to have had more time on that. But you know, ultimately, it was a good. I think it came out good. I think it looked good. Um, you know, it was a, it was a good experience. Other than the schedule, you know, mm. and I like working with all those guys. I liked working with Nick, and I liked working with Sam, and I liked working with, uh, with Danny Mickey. And, you know, it was fun. Just the deadline pain in the ass, you know. So. Now, as we get more and more current, then you were working with uh, with uh, Jason Aaron again on Thor: God of Thunder. Yes. What was that like? Um, again, I wanted to draw it. It sounded like a lot of fun. Um, I guess the bad part was just me having to follow up Eastside Rabik, you know, because I. Again, I, yeah, I was so, I'm so disconnected from what's going on, and, you know, and what's uh, because I don't get to read anything. So I went on this thing, and I didn't realize the backlash I was going to get about about being compared to him. You know, not that I, you know, it's not like I'm scouring the internet, but you know, the things I had heard, and there was some issues. You know, that I think part of the problem I had been having over the last, at that point, over the last year was being compared to these guys who I had I wasn't familiar with. And uh, I had known Esad stuff maybe from years before, but, you know, I don't read anything because I don't get out to the comic shop anymore. They, Marvel used to send us stacks of material, but we don't um, we don't get them anymore. So I don't know who's doing what or who, who's hot and who's not, whatever. But actually, when I was on X-Force, it was this big to-do about... Me not me sucking compared to Jerome Pena. He's no Jerome Pena. That's all I kept hearing was. And then the editor even said in an interview, "I know some people are going to say that Ron's no Jerome Pena, but he's killing it on this book." You know, I'm like, what kind of a thing is that for me to have to even read? You know, on, on an interview, I'm like, why? Why is this? Yeah, you know, I don't want to go into a book if nobody wants me there. You know, get Jerome fucking Pena to do it. Then. <laughs> oh, I don't give a shit. But you know, and it was the same thing with 
with Thor, you know, once I went on that, it was like, I was pumped to do it, and I was having fun drawing it, um, but then I started getting all this backlash about how I suck compared to Isad, and, um, and that's why I went and looked back and started seeing what Isad was doing, I could see how great it was, you know, um, but, you know, I, I still think what I did holds up, and it was fun, um, up until I had to rush through the tail end of it, and it became a deadline thing again because the colorist, um, uh, I forgot his name off the top of my head, um, was, was nowhere to be found, and he ended up coloring the whole book at the last, like, two days, and, you know, so it was just a, you know, at the end of that run, it looked didn't look very good, uh, but initially it looked good, I liked it. Um, I, I think some of the uh, first couple covers we did stand out as some of the best stuff I think I'd ever done. You know, um, I helped him paint a couple of, you know, like the second cover in particular. The first co- cover, I helped him paint a little bit to, you know, give him ideas about where I wanted to go. And I think the first cover of him fighting the flying tiger, you know, I think came out beautifully and is, you know, a nice standalone piece of art. So I'm happy with it in that regard, you know. Now, after that, I guess it brings us almost current with uh, Men of Wrath. Yes. Now, this was your first creator-owned work? Yeah, it was my first creator-owned and something Jason and I had been talking about for quite a while. And um, so now was the time to finally start doing it. And, uh, you know, so I committed a lot of time and energy to doing it for very little pay. I mean, I was getting a, you know, a, advance and stuff but it was tough because I you know, wanted to do a good job and you know and it took me a long time to, to finish you know and I was inking it myself and uh, as it went you know I started out just doing pencils but then I just decided it needed to be inked you know I started seeing it and I wanted it to be inked a little bit tighter a little bit I, I knew what kind of what I wanted to do with it so the first issue was pencils and then the next issue after that subsequently was all inked um, and I don't think a lot of people realize that but um, <clears throat> but it took a lot of time you know and I went the better part of a year that's all I did I mean over a year just working on that it was five issues and it took me a year you know um, so and that well, you know and it got we finished it and it came out and it seemed to be a pretty good su- critical success but then I started getting negative comparisons to Jason Latour on Southern Bastards I was going to say yeah uh... it's like for Christ's sakes man leave me alone you know, you know just yeah, that, that, that can be really annoying if I'm going to be perfectly frank because you know a lot of these guys who, who critique the books they you know they they take you and they pit you against. It's like watching a kid with two action figures, except you, as the artist, is the action figure that he's pitting you against. The other action figure, which would be Jason Latour, for instance. And it's like you know, well, this guy's not as good as this guy, and you know, they're just pitting you against each other like that, you know. And uh, I think that one of the criticisms I read, which I got really annoyed with, was Ryan Garney's not even in the same league as Jason Latour. And, and that's fine if that's your opinion, but what do you have to say about Men of Wrath and about, about the art itself? Mm-hmm. That's that's all you're going to say is that I'm not in the same way? Because they're two different books. 
and I get that there's you know it's similar it's from the south and it's crime story stuff but you know you're judging the art you know we're different artists you know and if that's all you're going to say well that's not good enough for me you know you need to be more thoughtful and you know and put more into that critique than just that you know than just insulting me a base insult saying I, I suck next to this guy you know and that's why I think a lot of these uh, sites falter where they could shine you know it could be a real vehicle for for people to get better and understand their, their work and see how it's you know how it's accepted and not accepted or how it's perceived by others rather than just it being two you know creator action figures pit, pitted against each other I feel like it's an immature way to approach it so that's my rant on that anyway um, <laughs> you know but um uh, yeah, so there was a lot of that. Um, you know, it's funny because I get I, I got tons of emails from people saying how much they loved it and this and that. But then, uh, you know, I'd hear, I would listen to a podcast and they would compare it to Southern Bastards. And, you know, or I'm not doing what Jason Latour is doing, which is the facial features. They aren't as good, you know, because all my, I think one of the critiques I got was all my characters were too handsome. <laughs> compared to Jason Latour who draws, you know, these you know, ugly people better. And, you know, so it was just stuff like that. Kind of an odd comment. Yeah, but I'm proud of it, you know, and I, you know, and I, I'm, they're fine, I'm fine, you know, it's fine. People have their opinions and that's they're entitled to them. I'm not saying you can't have your opinion. I'm just saying that, you know, you know, it's just what I hear, you know, and uh, it's all good. At the end of the day, it's all good. I'm proud of it and that's all that really matters. Um, you know, and we did... Um, hasn't been announced yet but we we've got a, a deal going so with hollywood for it so oh really wow i know southern bastards was just announced for fx but we've got a we're kind of in talks with uh this guy so i can't really reveal too much right yet fair enough it's interesting um i i actually had never read southern bastards till today um so i had read men of wrath first so i uh, it was an interesting perspective and i wonder if if yours had come out first, would people have said, man, Latour is just not Ron Garney? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Honestly, I, I look, I, I'm not even that familiar with Jason's stuff. I looked at it a little bit, and I liked it. I was like, man, he's really cool, the stuff he does, you know? But I would never in a million years have thought to compare it to my work. I just look at it at what it is, its own animal, you know, and it's really good, and I like it. It's different. You know, it has a, a more of an indie feel than mine does. You know, I'm, I'm an animal that's been you know, honed and chiseled from 25 years of working in mainstream comics, you know? So mm-hmm. I think a lot of the, the critics or whatever they, you know, they, they want to feel, they, 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 they look towards stuff that isn't mainstream as more artistic and more valid in some way. Like it validates the critique because it's not mainstream, you know what I'm saying. It's mm-hmm. almost—it's almost like Nirvana was more hip went before they became Nirvana and became a commercial, more of a commercial band, and they were more of a critical success before they were actually a critical success. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think it's sort of like that. Like the, the people like to like stuff that isn't mainstream and I'm I'm not believe me that doesn't invalidate what Jason does I think he's phenomenal and deserves all the success from what I've seen 
Um, but I do think there's a little bit of that in there, in that psychology of art. I, I mean, it's like the art, I mean, on a grander scale, West Myopic, um, the, the, the critics who go and they look at a dot on a, on a white canvas and they pay $5 million for it, and it's a critical smash. There's so much depth to that dot on a canvas. <laughs> And how much is that really because it just validates them as being art critics, as real, true, pure purists who know what they're talking about and have insight over the rest of the world because they can see and read into that dot on a canvas more than everyone else. It's like art snobbery in a way. You know? And I'm not saying that everybody snobs. I'm just saying that's sort of what it's like, I think. You know? mm-hmm. It's a little bit of that. It's cooler to like the stuff that's not mainstream. And I think my stuff looks a lot more mainstream. But maybe I'm just blowing smoke out of my own ass and maybe <laughs> just suck compared to Jason. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to reason it all out in my own head because it's, you know, I, I, I'll i be the first to admit I'm okay with looking in the mirror and looking at my own zits as uncomfortable as it is. And I mean that, what I mean by that is metaphorically is looking at my artwork and accepting what might or might not be good about it, you know, and it's hard. It's hard for anybody to do that as, and by, you know, human nature is, is very egotistical and, um, uh, it's hard to look at that mirror and look at your own zits and say, I need to clean off those zits, you know? And, uh, I think, you know, so, but I, I, I'll, I may try to analyze it and try to figure out whether it's valid or not, but I'm also the, the most honest with myself. And I think, um, you know, I try to be. And, uh, so I may get criticism and I may not like it at first, but I'll ultimately absorb it and look at the work and try to see it. And I agree with it. You know, to be honest with you, the whole handsome comment, uh, I draw faces too handsome. At first I thought it was a laughable, ridiculous thing to say, but then I was looking at it, looking at it, looking at it, and I started seeing what he was seeing. You know, um, valid, yeah, I guess it's, it's valid from his point of view, and I get it. It may not be valid for everyone else, um, but I see what he's saying in the facial structures and stuff, and I'm not drawing you guys who look like they're in the movie Deliverance, you know, these retarded-looking southern rednecks or something, you know. <laughs> Excuse me, I don't mean to say retard, you know what I mean. I'm trying to be <laughs> correct here. Um, but you know what I'm trying to say, I, I, the, Absolutely, no, I get it. Yeah, so. Well, I'm glad you're you're the one guy who thought that. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, as as we uh, as we wrap up, I just want to ask uh, a few kind of summary questions of some kind. Um, first would be when you get asked for commissions, etc. Who would you say is the most common character you usually get asked to uh, to draw? Who's kind of the signature Ron Garney piece? Um, I didn't think that'd be a stumper. (laughs) No, it is because there really isn't one. Maybe Wolverine. Yeah? Um, Yeah, most likely Wolverine. Uh, I'm not, you know, it's funny. I don't think I'm a good convention sketch artist. I mean, I you know, there's some guys like Mahmoud Asrar, and they just do ridiculous, or Lee Weeks do ridiculous art for their sketches. 
I can do good ones. It's not that I'm not capable, but I, it takes because of the nature of it. I I'm not. There's certain guys who can do it faster than I can. Do good stuff faster. Um, for me to get to the level of like a Lee Weeks drawing or whatever, I, it takes me a long time. I have to flip it over and look at it and redo it. And I, I, you know, even when I do pages of art, I redraw things to the point of obsessively. You know, I flip things over, I throw them away, I redraw and redraw and redraw and redraw to the point where, actually, speaking of Lee Weeks, he he told me one time, he said he doesn't know whether to be, to admire me for or to be scared of me for because he's seen stacks of stuff I've done that was, you know, obsessively redrawn, you know, and so it, I, it's difficult for me to do convention sketches for that reason. I can do commissions if I get them where I can take time on them, I can do better ones, but, you know, I, off the cuff, I don't feel like I do great convention sketches there, you know, where I've got 10 of them to do, I've got to go through them, you know, and I'm not saying I haven't done good ones, but, you know, I'm talking an awful lot now, so. That's okay. Um, what, uh, and you've kind of answered this, or we've, we've danced around it, um, you've kind of answered part of the question, but I thought I'd ask it on its own. Um, what are these stories or comics that you're most proud of as an illustrator? Uh, what comics? I think Get Mystique. I think um, I was proud of Back in Black, the fourth, uh, the one where he beats the crap out of Kingpin. Uh, because I actually that was my story idea that I didn't get credit for. I actually wrote a full page synopsis of that or two page email to Axel. And that was the story, and uh, they used it. So I'm proud of that. Um, uh, probably Men of Wrath. Proud of. I'm, I'm. I'm proud of all of it. You know, to some degree, I've, I've done. I feel like everything I've done. There's something about it I'm proud of. You know, obviously more some than others, like Scar. You know. It, it's probably the least of it, you know, maybe the Uncanny X-Men the least. But everything else, I mean, I had moments, I had moments, you know. I was very proud of Cap because, you know, and uh, proud of G.I. Joe <laughs> was my first <laughs> one. You know, all for different reasons. Probably Cap probably was the thing that got me, you know, the, the mainstream not- uh, acclaim, you know. So I'm very proud of that. I was nominated for an Eisner Award and, uh, Mark Wade said to me, wow, barring Steve Rue having a heart attack, you've got a real good shot at it. <laughs> <laughs> Just to give you a little insight into Mark's clever personality. Um, but, uh, God, God bless him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm proud of all of it for some reason or another, you know. Um, but like I said, you know, there's highs and highs to it like get mystique that I love so and I'm working on something now that's a mainstream character that I'm really having fun on that I guess I wasn't supposed to say because I put one of the covers up on <laughs> Facebook recently and, they, and I got all these emails alarmed emails saying take it down take it down we haven't announced it yet so I had to take it down so I'm not supposed to announce it yet oh actually I, I must have missed that I don't even know what that is <laughs> Yeah, and it was funny because it got up to 411 likes before I had to take it down. 
Oh, really? So a lot of people know. I don't think people know I'm doing it as a regular book, but they saw the, a piece of art that they probably just assumed was a pinup or something. But, um, yeah. Do you think it'll be announced by July 10th? Because that's when this goes out. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't think so. Okay. We'll keep, we'll keep that secret still. Okay. <laughs> so I'll tell you off the air if you, if you can keep your mouth closed. I think I can promise that. Okay, I'll tell you when this is over. Well, Ron, thank you so much for uh, for spending the last hour and a half with us. I know I I originally promised, oh, it'll be about thirty minutes, forty five minutes. But, well, I uh, talked a lot. <laughs> well, I appreciate it very much, and I know our listeners do too. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, thank you very much. Take care.